0: You just need to love, love, love Jesus. Live from the Pathway Studios in Johnston proper, you are live from the
1: The path coming from the uh, pathway studios here in Johnston Prover. It's
0: Mike. Hello. Drive
1: time. Wait did you did you refer to yourself as Prime Time? No, Drive Time. That's right. my nickname, Drive Time. No, it's not. Okay. Nobody nobody refers to you if as Drive Time. You, if you'd pick up on it, we'd be rolling it already. Hey, hey man, has anybody ever given you ever given you a nickname that you either that you really dug on or that you hated? You said, look, I just do not call me that. I want out. Some people call me Fusty the Snowman. I think it was a reference to cocaine. <laughs> why do they? Co- why? Why are they referring to you as a cocaine man? I don't know, but a snowman is generally a cocaine man, and since my last name is Foost, Foosty the Snowman seems to like be a good rhyme. But then it it sounds like I'm I swim in the white. Did powder. you try to dissuade them from it? Nah, it didn't seem like it was worth it. Yeah, seems. I all just right. answered to it. Okay, Nathaniel, what do, do you? Uh, you got a nickname someone gave you that you're like, yeah, this this is righteous, or no? You say, I wish that that would go away.
0: Yeah, when I was a. Uh A senior in high school, I wanted to be a a radio DJ. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I believe it was, I can't remember if it was you or Mike. It was one of you. said, Big Ron. That's your radio DJ name. That's a cool name. And uh, I said, yeah, I love that. And then uh, it was like my senior year in high school. And so the next year I graduated and went to college. And so I started introducing myself as, uh, you know, you're meeting a bunch of new people. They say, hey, what's your name? I say, Nathaniel. But some people call me Big Ron. (laughs) (laughs) So all these people at this Tiny little Bible college was like, Yeah, that's Big Ron. <laughs> that's cool.
1: <laughs> I mean, were you happy with it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah I was really happy with yeah. it.
0: To this day, I still dig on it. <laughs> yeah, there are a few people at that school that my, in their phones, I am still written down as Big Ron. That's
1: awesome. Yeah, it is. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't give up on Big Ron.
0: And there's a few people. There's one time I was walking down the hallway and uh, they were giving a tour to this family, and one guy shouts out, Big Ron! And then I come wheeling back around and the guy they're giving the tour to looks at me and goes, That's Big Ron
1: <laughs> Yeah, we got low standards. Wow. Hey man, I feel like was, I'd feel like the king for the day if someone yelled Big Ron down the down the hallway and you'd had to turn around and soak it in yeah. and like and there's a bunch of noobs walking down the hall going, That's Big Ron. <laughs>
0: That's Big Ron. Well they were confused. They're like that guy is neither uh, very big and they didn't know this, but my name's not Ron. Right,
1: right. No, still. I enjoy that. Okay. Anyway, hey, you're listening live from the path. Maybe you got a sweet nickname. Okay, I go ahead and hit it up on the on the complete line. Uh five one five five one seven zero zero eight five. Call or text. And I want you to tell me, like, what's a nickname someone gave you that you either I don't care whether you thought it was awesome or whether you hated it. Uh, I'm kind of interested in the ones where like, dude, this guy called me this all the time, and I wish he would stop, (laughs) but he just wouldn't give it up. What if they really want one? Can we help them? Like, they're like, no one ever gave me a nickname. You feel left out. Yeah, text us a picture of yourself, and we'll text you back a nickname. Yeah. Yeah. But if you pick a flattering picture, I'm going to know that... You're not flattering looking, so you better send me a real one. Yeah, I better yeah. know what you look like. First. Yeah, yeah. Don't here, don't bring dishonor to us by like trying to misrepresent yourself. Like what we call you, hey man, slice of heaven, but you really photoshopped yourself, and you don't look like that. And that yeah. will that would embarrass us. Yeah, if there's a filter on there, or you just have a filter kind of face that even on a regular picture you look like there's a filter on it, you better find some way to trash that down. Yeah, yeah, that's right. If you're going to be a Canada Tom, you better be a Canada Tom all the time. That's right. Okay. All right, here's what we got going on the show tonight. We're going to do some advice on Dear Life in the Path. Uh, Nathaniel has an article about uh, people's literal – I forget it every time. People people don't believe in the literal word of the Lord. They don't think that God wrote it. Right. Yeah, it's the percentage of Americans viewing Scripture as literal word of God reaches new low. Oh, okay. Now, this is according to the Baptist Press. I don't know how big their polling arm is, but, we, I mean, we'll read the article and okay. see what's up. All right, we'll see what the problem is. And, like, um, it's the literal part that's problematic. Uh, because do we do we mean like um, like literal like God can't use poetry God can't tell stories God can't use apocalyptic literature Is that what we mean or do we mean like I, I just don't think I think some other dude wrote it but God did not inspire it that's probably that's probably one yeah, of the lines I'd like to see yeah' we'll, we'll, yeah we'll read it but I think they make a, a caveat I think I fall into the category that the percentage is low so I think I'm one of those people so let's we'll see what the caveat is but I I read the article and I felt like I fell in a different category than they wanted me to be in okay interesting okay and then so finally to kick off the show here's one of the things I was thinking about on the way here there was I was listening to the um, rise and fall of Mars Hill Church podcast and like they had the original set of episodes and then they had um, like some extra episodes following up with people from the church and, and so on and so forth and the the last one was about uh, basically this keeps happening the stuff that happened at Mars Hill with the the, the church kind of rising uh, and then following under a charismatic leader and then ultimately destroying itself from the inside or at the at the hands of an irresponsible leader. Um, but this this keeps happening, and we've it's happened over and over in the church. And so, as I was listening to this, you know, they started talking about um, Hillsong, like Carl Lentz from uh, New York, who uh, you know, friend of Justin Bieber. There was a, they had a clip from a, the Joe Rogan podcast where he's just like going off on this thing. Um, and then uh, Brian Houston, who we talked about on the show, who was like the head of of Hillsong Global, and he, remember he was the guy who's like got drunk and then wandered into some lady's hotel room, but he couldn't remember what happened, yeah, I'm not sure what happened,, mm-hmm. okay, he's the bungler, yeah, that's his name yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so um anyway what what it made me think of? just listen to these stories, and we're like, well, why does this keep happening? and then I thought, like, why do we allow this to happen? like what is it that we are doing, or like like uh, yeah, how are we permitting this, or why does this keep happening to us like from uh, as a Christian perspective, and then uh, I guess that one of my first thoughts was like, is this happening? Is this Christianity? Or are these like people who are just taking advantage of Christianity? Like, at what point, at what point Mm. where you do not follow any of the tenets of Jesus and like you're willing to pervert and rob and like use God's church for your own power? At what point do we go, look, this isn't like christianity defiled this is simply not christianity this is not christian behavior you're talking about bringing a bringing a bringing on the second reformation yeah 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 so so like so then then if we think about like what's the big risk the big risk is the um, is anytime that you can use a church infrastructure or the kingdom community for earthly glory Right, so things that otherwise can elevate someone for the earthly values versus the kingdom values, Um, and and so the the question in my mind was, and this is the second spot, was that like this is a failure? I'm going to victim blame. I think here, this is a failure of the church to go. You know, I'm not, I'm not following this man. Hey, there's ten thousand people in the church, and I'm not going to go there. Uh, Or like I'm not giving money to this. This doesn't seem this isn't uh, this isn't kingdom value. Um, And and like I get it. There's all kinds of like grays and nuances of I'm not against, you know, people having money. I'm not against people being popular or like, you know, you you don't have to suck at your job to be holy. (laughs) And so I'm not saying any of that. And I think we've hit on themes of this before but the question is is like is the next if reformation number 1 was taking scripture out of the hands of a powerful kind of controlling church structure and putting it back into the hands of the people is is it possible that the next reformation of the church blows up our notion of a subservient infrastructure of which these things can be a risk. And so, like, here let me give you an example. Um, and, and gosh, don't hear me wrong. Um, I'm not saying this just because, like, I happen to to do house church. Like, we happen to do house church. Um, I'm not prescribing that's the only holy way to do it. But, like, as an example, there's 40 people there on a Sunday morning. You could show up there and if, like, if if you wanted your – if you were there for your own popularity, like, this is not the place to get it. First of all, these people aren't going to tolerate it. And second of all, there's only 40 people in there. And your notion of growth would always be like, look, if they can't fit in a house, uh, then we have to find something else to do. There must be – there have to be two houses. But like we're we're not buying a building. We're not putting a 1,000 people into the auditorium. And so like if someone was seeking their own earthly glory, they will always be capped by how many people will fit in a living room. And so you're not likely to get far enough. Now, you could be cultish. Nathaniel, I kind of touched on this. Like it's not that you can't be a wacko. Uh, well, sure, but like, but the the um, the things that seem to corrupt a lot of pastors when it comes to like some level of fame or notoriety or influence, like it's it's the size of the infrastructure that allows it. Like, even if you wanted that, you couldn't get it out of somebody's living room, except for maybe under the forty people. And people who are after it for the wrong wrong means tend not to be satisfied with the forty. And half of those are kids; they're not even listening to you. And so, anyway, I just—I I don't know. It's just a tangent, uh, but but like it's just—is—is is there a, a reforming of the church that needs to happen that says um, if this keeps happening with infrastructures that are tagged as Christian, at some point, isn't it the Christian's responsibility to say no to infrastructures that put pastors at risk or or draw in charlatans? You know, that, ta- go ahead, Nathanael.
0: And that we're kind of like, like right around the time where. I was just watching a video of this today, actually, where right around the time that, like, Driscoll was was blowing up, not, yeah. like, crumbling, but his church was booming, yeah. uh, Fran Chan leaves his church. Right. And there's an older video of Driscoll doing an interview, like, interviewing uh Francis. Yeah. And he's like, "What are you doing?" And he like says something about him being like a wild Fu Manchu man and like it's like this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> and like Driscoll is like super focused on like so who's doing the preaching at your church now? like with the assumption that people are the reason that Francis's uh the church that he was preaching at was blowing up was because of his teaching. Yeah. And it's like so why are you why are you leaving this and you know and he had that conviction to that he didn't want to be part of this and like mega structure and started doing the house church thing.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is going to reveal my lack of of uh, church history, so I'm just going to ask a couple quick questions. Uh, about when was the Reformation? Uh, well, 17 17th century. Is that right? Like okay, 16, so so, so like 17? in the in the, gro- the the grand sweep of things between when Jesus walked this earth and when it happened, and not all that long ago, right? So, like, did we get... what? what The early church had leaders in each town, in each section of an area, or... Yeah, I mean, Paul was walking around planting churches all kinds of places, right? And, like, he left infrastructure there as he left, you know? Um, And so the, the grand point that I'm trying to get to is, is, like, we got to a point 1,700 years in where we're like, hey, the common people aren't able to understand the Scripture for themselves um and 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 lead and they're being stuck by these like elite type church structure so uh we hand it over to the folks and now here we are we're kind of in back in the same boat a little bit right like 300 years later we're talking about that you know 10,000 people have to show up to listen to one man yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know and so the question is is now granted uh, I can understand some of the motivations of, of, of the one man, and, and especially the ones that are falling apart. I, I think we know the dangers of it. But where's if that wasn't the case, where's all the leaders amongst God's people to lead God's people? Because if 10,000 people can't go to one sanctuary, because we don't think it makes fiscal sense, we don't think it's being responsible with our money to actually have to keep that type of infrastructure up and running and basically soak up 80% of our own tithing budget just to keep ourselves alive. Let's say that we decided, hey, we want to do better than that. You're going to have to break those 10,000 people up into what? 20,000 small churches? Yeah, I don't th- th- this is where I struggle cuz like I don't think I want to say that it can't be. In fact, we, I know we've talked about this that it can't be done. I think there are people there are people who can do this. That's right. We're not say, uh, yeah, and I don't think I don't think anybody actually believes that. N- no, and I, and I don't think the solution is like, although there's, there's certainly like parts of the underground church that are, that's is how they have to function, but like I, I'm not I'm not saying because to your point, I don't know that you have people who believe they can lead. Like I, some of this is an abdication. Like we 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 abdicate to the single structure and to the one person because like we we don't feel capable of doing it ourselves, which is the same reason. So that's what got me on the Reformation thought. Is the same reason someone would defer to a priest or something as they would go. Look, they know Latin. They have studied and understand these things. I'm just a simple person. I don't. I don't have the ability. And like, I, I think there is still a, a specific role and place for for preaching and teaching within God's communities. And so, like, I, I actually think highly of that. Um, but but I, I do. But from a leadership perspective, the the church is a as a as a business or an operation of which requires operational tasks. And like the more the the more exposure that you get, the more actually, it's the, the problem is that the influence is cheap. It's cheap influence. If I want influence over a room full of people, like I'm I'm within ten feet of them. You're taking phone calls, you're handling text messages, you're having conversations. You're earning the influence that you have because and there's a weight to the influence that you have. When when you have the ability to speak and uh, and you get the influence without the responsibility that comes with it because instead they got to text somebody else. I think it creates a significant human risk. So I I think, and, and maybe we're just leaning on two different sides of the coin here. But what I think is true is I think people would not put up with some of the things they're putting up with if they didn't accept the calling that God had on their life to lead people. Right? You wouldn't need the one guy leading ten thousand. Right. Because you would have. You would have five thousand leaders within that church that would be like, this. This is not. This is not what we're doing. Yeah. So we're going to do this, right? And so, like, it almost seems like a cultural shift, where instead of saying we want scripture, give us access to it. If you want access to scripture, friend, you have the most uh, availability to get it. In this day and age, than you've ever had. Yeah. So during the Reformation, people are like, we, we we want to be able to read for ourselves. We want to be able to know the Word of God, and they didn't have access to it. We have the exact opposite problem, and the same number of people that that won't teach it, or lead it, or or take responsibility for it, or or, or soak it into their life to the fo- to the point where it's it's running it. Yeah, like I, surrendering to it. Yeah, because because I mean, even even there was a time, and actually, what your question made me think about is like when if if and I think you were getting to this at a conversation we had before the show started, if the first century church was um the a1 example, and I think that and the, and that's questionable, right? is it should we say that we're supposed to be what the first century church was um or is that just like that's the out of the gate, that's the first iteration, the first attempt to do something and so but let's just if let's just presume that maybe that that was the prime example is is when did it turn? Like when did we get? When did we? As the church began to grow, at what point would we say, "Ah, now, now there's an infrastructure that puts us at risk because there's because there's a level of influence without a level of responsibility." If Paul was okay being a traveling preacher because he did not take responsibility, um, he's not. He wasn't postured as the leader of one of those church communities. He was simply a traveling man. He came, he planted, he preached, he, he built leadership, and he left. And he left him in the hands of people. They didn't still say, "Oh well, Paul is the leader of the church," and so, like, that's different. I actually think that's okay. I I think that's fine that you've got people of influence that don't otherwise that where the influence is temporary. Um, but but it's the presumption that like, hi, I'm the people's pastor. I'm the pastor over these twenty thousand people. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're you're a, you're a speaker in front of twenty thousand people. You're, you could be a teacher. Yeah, sure. right. You might be teaching them, but you're you're not their you're not their pastor. You don't take any responsibility for the relationship that you have in them. It's a one way relationship. That's and that's not pastoral. And so, um, I I don't know. I don't know. I I, I don't even have a good solution here. Hey, be- I wish we knew a megachurch pastor that didn't find this to be low culture and would come in and talk to us about it. I, I know. I because said. I think it's. I, I I like I said. I don't, I don't think we're broad brushing mega churches here like i i I, there's quite a few pastors i listen to their podcasts i think they're great people who love jesus yeah right and so like i I don't think the whole thing is like a wash and horrible but like it it does seem you know i was just trying to think of a prime example and this is going to be a stupid example but like every year when i file my taxes they're like we want to know about your charitable giving and i go it's none of your business Mm -hmm. like i don't fill it out and i told a guy this one time and he goes but it, it's a tax it's it goes against your taxes right like it's a, it's a tax credit you there's no reason not to fill it out and I said but they're the right hand and I'm the left hand and I don't want them to know what I'm doing it's just another <laughs> business <laughs> yeah, they're like but yeah. well, why wouldn't you claim a tax that's a, a tax credit that's available to you and I'm like because I don't care about it because I just don't care I would I, it's and so like the whole thing is is it seems amateur and dumb right but when you look at churches that get to be a certain size this is how the whole thing is played now right like yeah. the 5013c corporations now and and we're we're buying land with that that aren't taxable or whatever like there's all kinds of stuff now that are they're not blocking God's good word right but they're certainly making the mudders the, the water's a little muddier yeah. right when I can just throw a couple dudes in a house or gr- grab a tent or just say hey can we meet out at the park right like no there's no muddy waters here and and once again I'm not saying that the just the, the for the fact that the waters might be a little bit of muddy because of the way that our government or society is set up, um, I would say the way that like you have to handle your finances and the way that you have to, you know, pay church staff and and all this stuff, it just it it can make it a little bit money. Problems that you don't have in first century Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Problems you don't have. I mean, even even again back to our the our context, the problems I don't have in a house church. Like we don't have any giving structure. I don't. We don't. I'm not a banker. We don't take in any money because then it's not my problem as to where it goes like as a we don't give money as an entity people within our community give money and most of it's non-tax deductible right and most of the time you're holding out money and you're giving it to situations of which like I'm not asking for a receipt I'm giving I'm giving anyway um and like like it, i suppose the minute something the minute something that earthly um influences the way that you spend your kingdom dollars that then you have a problem. Like, I think I, there's something, something vaguely is in the back of my mind that we had someone who wanted to give to something, and they ended up not doing it because, as a church, we didn't do – we weren't a structure. Right. I couldn't give a receipt, and I wasn't going to. And so they gave it somewhere else, and then someone else kind of end around gave the money because someone wanted to give to a tax-deductible thing. I'm like, really? Like, you would choose whether or not to give to something, whether you can get, a like, a tax deduction about it. You let the earthly driver – alter how you, where you put your kingdom dollars. And like that, it seems minor, right? But like, just follow that all the way through. What, what compromises did we make? How did, what things did we not say? What things did we, did we justify and say, well, it's okay to go do this thing because I, um, I, because it's both, I get both a earthly and a worldly benefit. I'm like, your count, you're counting. The second thing's not even a consideration. Like what's the kingdom work? And then, like God, let God bless how He wants to bless. But if you schemed the blessing, I feel like that's not that doesn't count. I don't think that's the same thing. Hmm. And, and so I don't, we I need don't to find it. We need to find a big church pastor to talk to. Yeah, I'm so I'm super interested on how to pray for them. Like, because here's the thing: I th- I totally think that they that there there are there are people who who are in these situations. They're there pastors and people running these things, and like they have they're not dumb people. They have to recognize the risks. The question is that like how do they think about them? What are they doing to mitigate them? You know, like and and is it um, now? Th- th- there's a place where you part company where I say, look, uh, hey, you got to have good accountability on a guy, and and we're gonna check in, and he can't be alone with someone who's not his wife, and you got fifty things to keep a guy boxed in, and I'm like, at some point. We're playing so much defense just to retain this structure, like that. Can't we just blow it up and like turn everybody on offense? And just yeah. you know, I, I but but then I, but I know I know all of this isn't solved in the living room. I know that. I just I'm, I'm I'm struggling with the amount of risk that comes with the perceived worldly benefit. I just do you know how much bu- this is, it, and maybe that it, maybe it does come down to money. I don't know, but like, do you know how much money it takes? to keep your church building up and rolling just to have it available for the the small amounts of time that you actually use it. You know? It's a lot. Like, it's 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 just a lot. And, like, if, if we're just going to look at it black and white, this is not saying that, that, that God is coming after your church structure and wants to shut it down. But, like, honestly, take the number of people that you have that show up at, at, at your services on Sunday and then look what it costs just to keep that building available. It's like insurance, right like except you know you're going to use it once a week but other than that right like right. the whole structure is there just to support our ability to gather in a comfortable space on Sunday and like or I, Wednesday night or Wednesday night, the yeah, Zumba I, class or yeah, whatever Yeah, not it, saying right? that you're not using your building to it's I mean you should make sure that you're using your facility to its f- full structure right yeah. um but once again if 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 it's even close to the number that I saw recently, that was like like eighty percent of the church's budget is merely just to keep itself in in existence. I think it's I think it's it's often between eighty to ninety. It's significant. I mean that's a lot, isn't it? Like yeah. it, that's a lot. And so, not saying that you're worshiping money like as a as a direct uh, result or, or you're doing it intentionally, but like. This is how God roots out things every once in a while. Like, he reveals something to you that you're like, oh, man, I didn't realize I was doing this. This is out of bounds. And, like, 80 to 90% of our, of our church's budgets are merely to facilitate us being there. And, like, that might be a little steep. You know what I'm saying? It might yeah. be a little steep. So it might just be worth praying and thinking through church structure a little bit. And just making sure that yes, this is what this is what God has us doing. And like, despite that or because of it, I don't know the answer to that really. Like, people are coming to know Christ at these at churches. Yes. Yep. Right. People are showing up. People are hands in the air worshiping. God's name is being honored and praised. And like, these are all great things. And 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 I don't I don't think we're saying anything negative about that. In fact, the one thing that I miss from going to a house church is I miss big worship. Mm-hmm. Like I like big band and ladies that can sing two octaves higher than me. And like weird weird people in the corner shouting holy spirit things i think that's awesome and i miss it sometimes uh but if sometimes i just think that if we parlay the cost and look at it, i use parlay wrong yeah but if we compare the costs <laughs> and look through it and go look man if it's costing us if we take in a million dollars a year in tithes and offerings and it takes nine hundred thousand dollars just to be able to take in the million just so we can take in nine hundred thousand again right like I don't know. Maybe it's worth thinking about. Yeah, you know, you know what I would do like if I were in this position right now and I were pastoring a church which had any type of budget or anything. I think maybe the, the what I would do is I would go uh I would I will, I want 50-50 to start. I I want to, of of any money that comes in no more than 50% goes to support is is 50% is in money, salaries, heating and cooling, parking lot, food, whatever. So the church will say we need to tithe more uh, no need more no. money in. Uh, no, no, because if you if you double the amount you're taking in, well, yeah, maybe, maybe you double the amount you're taking in, and it starts to cover your internal cost. And then I would then I would start praying and saying, God, 50 uh, uh, seems seems like a start. Show us where, show us how we can get there. And like maybe that means. So what you might see is God goes, all right. Well, mo- most of the younger the church, smaller the church, the more money's going to the pastor. Pastor can take be seventy percent of your budget. Especially if you're going to pay him fairly. Um, there's A lot of churches that don't pay him fairly. And so if you're going to pay your pastor fairly, I mean, that might be 70% of your budget. If you're talking in, in insurance, especially if there's any type of retirement, like, and you're not a denomination, call it 75. And then you've got your building. And then, you, then you're like, okay, well, what do you do? Smaller building, buy vocational, stop paying the pastor completely. Like, how do we get there? God might start rooting some things around. Um, and they're not easy things. And so either he's going to send money through people. Uh, or he's gonna start chopping stuff away. you know what this sounds like from <laughs> playing the opposite side of the field. It sounds like uh that you run a crappy church that's terrible at church growth, and then you go this is this is where it's it at. <laughs> We've succeeded. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. well, yeah. uh, if you can't do any better than house church, then you look at a house church and go, yes, this is what the Lord's blessed. <laughs> uh, I found that actually I felt that very appealing for a house church because like it took so many things off that um uh, I didn't have to. I felt like I either didn't have the skills for, or just didn't seem like, uh, as I read scripture, weren't pastoral problems. Like, so does does the stuff that we're talking about does it actually address the Driscoll, Lintz, Houston? Because um, like these same these same conflicts and these same uh, morality failures are happening in smaller churches too. Oh, yes. Yes. And I suppose that's not that's that's a great point, because the scale is smaller, but the sin is the same. Mm-hmm. Either way. Um, well, the question is like the the the. there's almost always sexual sin is different, because I think that can happen at any level. That's a relationship perversion. Um, but the, the influence and power piece is limited when you simply do not have a forum that caters to that desire for influence. Uh, well, and and maybe it it does fall back on on the uh, the Christians, not the Christian leadership, but the Christians on how much they will tolerate that. We talked about this a little bit when we talked about the Catholic priest stuff, mm-hmm. right? Where, where yeah. we were talking about look, like why are we waiting for like law, like American civil law, to take care of this problem, like like. I, they should it's yeah. definitely they've broken laws and they should be punished to the full extent of it yep right but like this is internal church business and we should be rooting it out ourselves and turning them in ourselves right like find them this has to stop we right have a but problem. The, but the gap in that if, if I remember that conversation was right there's not a like governing party like there this is what we were talking about going to beat up that guy who printed his face on the women's underpants yeah and we're like who are we we're just a bunch of random like we're the Christian mafia who's going around going look you're embarrassing the name of Jesus Knock it off, or you're getting one in the face. Yeah, we need we need Levites. That's what we need. We need some enforcement. Yeah, be people who don't let uh, people uh, wander into the holy place full time, lest they bring it upon the community. Full time levitical enforcement. I'm not. I'm not against. Here's that. the thing: is once again, and we go back to the same adage that says, if you want to be part of this levitical enforcement squad, you don't have the right temperament for the job. We have to find someone else. We have to find people that are like, I understand why it's necessary. I don't think I'm the right guy. That makes you the right guy. Then you're in. Yeah, you're on. The, you're on the yeah, squad. Yeah, we don't need no vigilantes. Daniel, you got any interest in being this Levitical enforcement squad? No. Okay, you're in. <laughs> Isn't that
0: the same case though for like rooting out the dudes who, uh, like the the big church, small church? Like I've met some dudes who are who are full of them, full 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 of their own Kool Aid, you know, leading a church of thirty dudes. I'm the best. Let me you know.
1: Is yeah, really? My solution only says look at least it's confined to them thirty wackadoos. In making Ohio, <laughs> you're running a mitigation. I guess, strategy. but it's.
0: I mean, it's, it's like well, the population of this this town was also not near the size of like these other like, you know what I'm saying. So yeah. like percentage wise of the the people that were influenced in the town, I mean, I mean, probably similar. So yeah. So, I mean, what do you think? What, what's
1: what's an alternative way of looking at this? If if you can't mitigate well, it due to size.
0: I think it's kind of the same thing with the the, the Levite thing. Like, if this dude wants the position, oh, I, I don't know, because I don't want to be like, hey, if you want to be a pastor, you suck. <laughs> You're not right for this. <laughs> game. If you want to do it, it's not for you. That's right. We need a bunch of Moseses, less errands. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know though, but it seems like yeah, it seems like a a, a real uh, like who wants to be the president, right? Only a crazy person.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. You know, it's okay. This sounds bad, but like. It's it's because there's a um I can't most cultures don't have a, a potential celebrity or, or influence related to being a pastor. You want to become a pastor in Iran, you're basically putting your life and your family's life on the line. You want to be pastor uh, somewhere in the you know in Tennessee or whatever, like you're setting yourself up for a potential cushy job of which you're respected in the community and people care what you think. Let's beat them up. Maybe we should be like the Israelis and like, look, you got to go be a pastor somewhere else for a while. That's what they do? No, they they put you in a military service. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Mandatory <laughs> pastors have to go be a pastor in Mozambique for a while. And like before you can even think about being a pastor here.
0: That sounds awesome. Because like
1: maybe- it doesn't take me, like think of it, even me. I, I, don't, I don't have any risks here. Like, I, I mean, I, I suppose someone could get upset and go, look, show me the pastor and then shoot that guy. But it seems unlikely. Ben, we've bought you a ticket. To Mozambique? Yes, I'm in. I totally do it. Hmm. I would totally do it. Yeah, we need we need more voices in this conversation. Yeah, because it's a, it's a capital C church business. Yeah, and uh, I, and and maybe it's maybe it's not. There's not a solution here. Like it's Christchurch, and, and and he'll handle this stuff. I just, maybe we're just saying, look, uh, we need to be open to the fact uh, of of God moving and shaking in the way that He wants to. If God called you to put a house church in a building and have it be available. Uh, I would assume you would do it. I've talked to the Lord about that. I said that, and that's the only, I I said the only way that I would, you're going to have to give us a church building. Like it. it that it, way I know it's you. That way I know it's you. Otherwise, that way I know it's not an ambition thing for me. It's not a, oh, hey, oh, maybe this is the next logical step of growth. Like as far as I know, I'm, I'm in houses until I die. Unless God shows up with a building and makes it super clear between me and then somebody else within our church community that he's talked to that says, you guys are supposed to do this and I'm giving you this building. Then. Then I would know, and I could feel calm, and I would do it because I would like God. Obviously, this is the path that God wants, but I would—it would have to be that only so that I know it has nothing to do with me. Yeah, what a precarious situation! Like you have got to have people bathed in prayer to run a church. You just do. You just absolutely do because, like, here's things I convince people to give to a building initiative for sure. I could put a board up and a thermometer and go and fill it in every Sunday, and like you can either guilt them or persuade them. Or convince them that it's God's work and I could do that on my own steam without the Lord involved in it at all. And like, what I mean, what is that thing that I read that like um it was just basically asking like if if is your is it noticeable in your life that the Holy Spirit's involved in all at all? Right? Would your life continue on exactly as it is if the Holy Spirit was not involved? Like are you counting on the Holy Spirit to actually do something, to show up? Are you putting anything in God's hands and going, This is yours to deal with? I'm gonna sit here and wait. Not yeah. I'm going to give you a day or two, and then I'm going to fix this on my own, because that's not the Holy Spirit moving. That's you fixing it on your own. And we've probably built a lot of church buildings on the on that second premise, where like, we feel like we're running out of space. We don't want to run another service. We're already running five. Uh, we need to build another building. Now, does that make sense? Maybe it probably does. Maybe it does make sense. People are God, because in their perspective, God is sending people to them. And so like, if you're, let's say that you're a good pastor who loves Jesus, and like, God has sent you two thousand people, and now it's you got three thousand knocking on the door wanting to show up. What do you do? You accommodate them, mm-hmm. and you're like, whatever, keep sending. Like, like we'll, we'll keep accommodating, and that all sounds good and right to me, you know. But there's, it, it does feel like there gets to a point where it's a risk reward, and it's just really risky. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, yeah, really yeah. risky. That's all. Yeah, interesting. Okay, yeah, you're right. This is a big sea trip. I, I like to talk to somebody. That's too bad. Dan's not here. Uh, although I mean I think we've had some of this conversation before, it just struck me specifically around like is there just a place where the, the Reformation spot was more about the people of church of of God's church going, no I won't be part of this. This is a, this is too much of a risk to me or to my community around me, and like I will not put people, I will not put people in the position of which they this much risk comes at them. Yeah. I don't know. God has, God has done awesome things through all kinds of stuff where I'm like, boy, that's risky. And so like, I just, it's a confusing thing to me. I, I, cause I don't know, like it'd be easier if I just said, look, the only holy way to do things is the way is to be in houses. I just don't think it's true. I don't think that's right. I think God will do all kinds of awesome. And it is actively through things that I consider to be a risk, but like. And what is a mega, what is a mega church? What's a 10,000 person church but a bunch of communities getting together, getting together in the same place to love and talk about Jesus. Right? Like they are a bunch of communities all meeting together for the same thing. Yeah, it's, yeah that, that's where it gets down and maybe to the core the the thing that brought me on point 1 which was so at what point do we say these are people taking advantage of Christianity or this is Christianity? Because it is consistent. Like this is happening over and over and over and over again. No, like, it is. And, and what are we doing from a utilitarian perspective? Where we go, yes, but uh, it seems worth it because this X many people are meeting Jesus through the sweet parking lot. Yeah, and and it does. It is something to be thought about. Where like if if the the people of of Christ are looking for the church to be generous on their behalf, or the people of Christ are looking for the church to be tolerant or hospitable. On their behalf, yeah. yeah like, yeah. don't worry. The church has a program for this. Not, don't worry. You can come stay at my place, <laughs> right? Like, there, yeah. there's a risk in that, no matter what size the church is, right? Like, when you start depending on the church to be your outpouring of Christ, um, you're you're missing a huge. Obviously, you're missing what God called us to. Yeah, you know, though, I I, I, mean, I, I felt myself. The is not the right word because I've not had this. But like, we watch. Um, there's a there's a show called uh, Call the Midwife. It's about a bunch of like uh, nuns who run uh, and, and midwives. You seen this one, Nathaniel? Yes. Okay, it happens at Nathaniel's house. I have not seen it. Okay.
0: Well, big, I've seen it happen. Big Ron takes I it in. <laughs> I haven't taken it in. He loves it.
1: Yeah. I watch it. I think it's great. I think the writing's great. I think situations are cool. So, like, anyway, it's it's about, uh, there's a, a nonnatus house. It's, it's full of uh, Anglican nuns. And some uh, non nunish midwives who serve the community. And like after watching these things like – and I th- think about it, like all the babies or most of the babies born, you know, in this community. And this is was set around I think like the 30s and 40s and stuff. Um, like came through these women who were helping their community. And like it made me think of there being something about pulling into a town and seeing a church steeple. Like – as, as as much as I'm not like a church building fellow, like the having this, having a like it stand for something. the the the, the church would was often the, the spire was the tallest thing in in the town, which means from miles out you could pull up and you could see the the cross on the top and know that there was a, there was an association with the building because there was an association with Jesus that this was a place of refuge. This was the people yeah. of kindness, you know. And like I remember thinking that about about these. The nuns and the midwives in this thing that, like, you know, you just knew that, like, if you needed help, you could go to the Nanata's house, and the nuns would be there. And like they're that, always there.
0: That night that uh, we got a phone call here. I was like, yeah. that, that young lady was not calling around random people. They're That's right. She was calling
1: churches. Ch- calling churches. That's right. That's what I always liked about TV shows that depict, like, Catholic priests who live at the church. And, yeah. like, some dude shows up randomly at one in the morning or whatever, and, like... Someone's there to answer it. Like that's, Les Miz. Yeah, saying, hey, come on in, whatever. Yeah, and like I, I think – That part's cool. And so so you, you talk about like, yeah, they would they would say, well, the church will help, and they wouldn't necessarily invite them in their house. And like I think that's true, and I think it, our balance is off. But it's kind of a both-and. Like is it okay that like strangers, like the, the sojourner, the migrant, um, needs to recognize people of Jesus – more than the, a person of Jesus, I mean, not, not Jesus himself, but like it's more like they may be able to latch on to like I know where help is, I know where good, kind people mm-hmm. exist, should be in that infrastructure right there, in that building right there. I suppose that's the conviction is is like we're just not consistent across the body of Christ in the way that we act towards the sojourner, the person who doesn't know Jesus or whatever. Yeah. Right? Like we kind of count on the building to whitewash a group of people because we're not, we're just not very consistent, right? Yeah. Like, we struggle with, with, I mean, we already have already divided ourselves in a bunch of denominations. We've already divided ourselves based on what Bible uh, translation we will read, which political view we want to attach our particular denomination to, and blah, 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 blah. So, like, you know what would be really nice if that spire meant the same thing in every town? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. maybe that's where we can be convicted and go, what? what what are we doing here? You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> well and like even if you think of some, and this is probably a risk from from larger churches, is that like d- 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 where I would hope that the spire people go. This is these are p- people of help. Um, do our does our infrastructure l- look and feel and function as a place like that, or does it look and feel and function like a place where people can be comfortable um, serving within the church, not outside of it? Again, it's a question of insularity. Yeah. Like, how much of our how much of our stuff is to serve internally? How much of our money and resources goes to? Well, we got a sweet kids area. I, whatever. I'm, I don't care that your kids are enjoying themselves. But like, um, how cool? How, how cool? <laughs> That's is, reflective in our Sunday service. <laughs> also true. Two of you go down in the basement. The rest you're going to sit through it. Um, like, how how cool is our kids area? And then, how many of those places do we are we also running clinics, like that kind of thing? Mm. Uh, and, so, and, and I've seen big churches do great at this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like it, it used to be that almost every church had a food pantry. I mean, every one of them. Someone had. I actually still like this. I remember Dan and Den talking about this um, uh, we, d- during a twenty four seven prayer room. We were talking about like what would it what would it take to go rent an apartment in like a low income area, and like. The church just owned that apartment, and we kept it stocked with, with ladies' goods and children's and, and diapers and wipes and food, and then we just, someone from the church just went and staffed the apartment, you know, every so often, like however often or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't come look at our infrastructure, it was like some notion of among you. Now, you could just have someone who lives there all the time, but like you were intentionally funding something in its context- to be of, be of help and assistance. Um, And so again, it's just like, these aren't, these aren't indictments. They're just, it's just a question. Is it like, does my, we talked about this during the, the row of the um, overturned, but not over episode. where like, if, if the heightened accusations against the church were, are going to be an imbalance, these things that churches stand for, that we believe we're supposed to stand for upon close examination do our values does our money does our time does our infrastructure reflect self-service or 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 humble service to others what does it look like and that's even true at a house church level like there's a lot of person there's it's more personal responsibility there but like you still got the same problem yeah. like as a community what does our effort look like is it more self-service or is it more humble service to others and it's it's a something that I think we need to be open about in prayer that god might be moved trying to move a needle that we didn't actually necessarily recognize was the needle that needed to be moved yeah and here's the thing it's like it's, it's too bad you can't run a litmus test against your against your leadership at some point but like let's we'll show up with uh 500 people uh and talk to the pastor and go look we feel like god's leading us to start house churches in our own communities and uh we're, we're gonna go ahead and break out of here and see how he reacts Right, like if he acts with complete outrage and irritation, he wasn't the right guy. Mm. If he's like, "This is fantastic," I actually like right after we, I felt like God was saying to tr- to try this to do the house church bit. Um, I had met with a couple, maybe three or four other pastors um, because I wanted I wanted like. Um, so, have a, so so Dan's here, right, on Monday night. So, like, we, we still I still retain a, a friendship and connection with Dan. But, like, one of the risks of house church is in celerity. And so, like, I just wanted to be reminded that God was doing cool things through people of churches of other sizes. So I'd meet with these guys. And, like, a few of them I kind of just picked because they were close to me. Like, they were in one guy was in Altoona. I'm like, I'm just going to meet that guy. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was hesitant to tell him I was a house church pastor, lest he, like, have a negative reaction to it. Now, I mean, obviously I told him, but, like, it was there was a hesitation there, uh, and actually that guy had a reaction. He's like, "Oh yeah, we dig on house churches. We'd like we like to see him uh, encouraged and planted." I'm like, "No kidding, <laughs> sweet yeah." Um, but um, but yeah I, yeah, I, I think it feels it feels uh, risky at times. Okay, hey, you're listening to Life from the Path. Um, thanks for hanging out of that conversation. I don't maybe maybe it doesn't feel relevant to you. It's just I, I think it's a question of introspection within the church. To say, are there things that we are allowing about how we organize ourselves that creates risk that should be unacceptable? Um, and I think I think it's bold. I think it's the, it hits the spectrum. You've got different sets of risks on smaller uh, organizations. I think that to Nathaniel's point, some of these things are persistent across. Um, just the bigger ones tend to you know blow up louder. Um, but you know, you could you could just as easily have these things going on in a in a smaller country church in a house church. In fact, yeah, house churches are risky for cultish type of behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I mean, they but mo- they may look great from the outside. But anyway, I you know, just something to um, to maybe be careful about um, in your in your church community. And um, yeah, and I would I would like to have this conversation a little bit broader. Maybe we can find someone that'll willing to talk to us about it. Yeah, let's I'll f- I'll find a heavyweight. Okay, that well, sounds good. It's a different going to be a cat anyway, because the real heavyweights will go. No, I don't want to involve. Yeah, I'm not this. coming into that thing. <laughs> but I, we we need like a middleweight, heavyweight. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah or some
1: Or or a heavyweight that lacks discernment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Seems good. Also,
0: right. the Reformation. Yeah. Ninety-five Thesis. Yeah. Fifteen seventeen.
1: Oh yeah. What did I say? Seventeenth century. Sixteenth century then. Yeah. Fifteen seventeen. Okay. Yeah. Where did it go wrong? Now listen. Nice a major publication has dropped this scathing article. Okay. BaptistPress.com. Yeah, i read it. Yeah. Percentage <laughs> of Americans viewing Scripture as literal word of God reaches new low. Okay. Dun-dun-dun. Scott Barclay says. Nashville. A survey of Americans and their view of Scripture reflects a trend of disassociation from religion. One's exposure to Scripture, however, can also factor in those results. The number of Americans accepting the Bible as the literal word of God has reached its lowest point since Gallup began the study in 1976, according to its most recent findings. The new figure of 20% is down from the 24% of the most recent poll in 2017. Respondents were asked, which of the following statements comes closest to describing your views about the Bible? Those statements were, one, the Bible is the actual word of God and is to be taken literally word for word. Two. The Bible is the inspired Word of God, but not everything in it should be taken literally. And three, the Bible is an ancient book of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. 58% of Christian adults view Scripture as the inspired Word of God, compared to a quarter who see it as the actual Word of God. Among all U.S. adults... Wait, sorry, is that Camp 2? Yeah, the okay. Camp 2 is running the higher amount, uh, compared to the to a quarter who see it as the actual Word of God. Among, among all U.S. adults, 49% consider it inspired, while 20% see the Bible as the actual Word of God. Uh, first of all, if that's the questions that they're asking, what do I, they m- I would have landed in Camp 2. Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely in Camp 2. That the Bible is the inspired Word of God. What like- do they mean by actual Word of God? Like he like he hand-wrote it? Like it has to be inspired.
0: Like, like bolt it has of light. to be. Uh, Is that what they're saying? Bolt of lighting down on a tablet? Like tablet. Yeah, like tablet style.
1: Like the this whole thing, thing. Was, was ten commandmented, like First Timothy, <laughs> like he, like he puppeted David, like acted like he was David and wrote the song. That's not even <laughs> that's not even an appropriate rendering of the scripture we're talking about. I Timothy and Sylvanus, <laughs> really, it's the Lord. <laughs> like, yes, inspired, but obviously written by a human who said it was a human. It's these are odd phrases so far. Let's yeah, see, maybe it'll suss itself out. Those attending church weekly are most likely to hold a view of scripture as the actual word of God. They're capitalizing word of for some reason. Though even that number came in at 40%. John Hammett, a senior professor of systematic theology at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, said one that's a long business card. Yeah. <laughs> said one's perception of scripture is largely shaped by one's exposure to it. Quotes, people who consistently hear thoughtful, expository biblical preaching are much more likely to be convinced of the Bible's trustworthiness, authority, and inerrancy than those who have little to no exposure to Those it. weren't the categories they gave. I, I agree. Okay. That, I, I, I agree. Such expository teaching and preaching of the Bible is the greatest need of this and every generation. According to Gallup, 40% of those identifying as evangelical or born again hold the Bible as literally true, while 51% consider it inspired. So that's uh, almost split right the I don't down the understand middle. the distinction they're making. Wait a minute! Surprisingly, eight percent in the evangelical Christian group stated the Bible was an ancient book of fables. <laughs> you might not be a Christian, friend. <laughs> Just a heads up. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but like, isn't the implication to say it's either the 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 actual Word of God or it's inspired? Wouldn't the implication be that it's in, it could be inspired falsely? Otherwise, aren't they the same option? I don't understand the distinction. Well, I I guess I don't either. I'm going to read the three options again that they gave. Yeah. These are the three options you get to pick from in the survey. The Bible is the actual word of God and is to be taken literally word for word. Okay. There's no possible way that you as a Christian in the 21st century can believe that. You know it's been translated from different languages you know that there are nuances without it you know there's poetry books and wisdom literature and uh, apocalyptic literature and if you do not Bible. you're not sitting under that expository preaching that one guy that's was right. talking if about if you don't know that like like the like there's there's wisdom literature and poetry and apocalyptic literature that's written in a different way and with metaphors and word pictures that they weren't ever intended to be taken literally if you do not know that then I suppose you could answer number one, but, like, you got some real funny things that you're on the hook for in Revelation. Some stuff that you should be doing right now that is odd and ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and you should probably have cut off your hand at least once. At least once. Everybody, if, yes, that's right. If you take the Bible literally, if you're the word-for-word word type of guy... You should gouge your eyes out.
0: That's right. Then oh, Jesus, for sure, gouging the eyes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Then Jesus does not speak in parables, even though he told you he speaks in parables, and he doesn't use word pictures, and you probably don't have any hands. That's right. you got no hands, no eyes. You're a blind man with no hands. That's right. Okay, so those were the three options. Um, Oh, that was just option one. Option two, the Bible is the inspired word of God, but not everything in it should be taken literally. Obviously, I think that's where this room lands. Yeah. I think that is the most faithful, most conservative response. I actually think it is is, uh, conservative meaning, like, I take the Bible for what it claims to be not what I'm asking it to be. Like, I'm subservient to the Bible as it represents itself. I find, I've. it's weird, because, like, I've been in conversations where, like, being, reading Revelation, maybe, and, like, leave the, I'll leave the interpretation of Revelation open, but, like, making sure you recognize wisdom literally when it shows up, parables when they're there, the the literary quality of Psalms, like, I've had people talk to me like I'm liberalizing the Scripture. I'm doing the exact opposite. I feel like I'm most, the most conservative bible man i know yeah well and look and and i mean look at the way even jesus talks he's like hey all that stuff in the old testament that was about me i know you don't believe you don't think it was about me you think it was about something else but it was about me so i need you to look at that and see it right yeah right and so like that means that the literal interpretation even jesus goes no no not no, here's yeah, how you or it's, or it. Or it's deeper than what you're allowing it to be, which Correct. is that, that's generally the case. So that's, yeah, I, the the distinction they're making seems to be an interpretive problem, not whether I believe like that they're confusing language because they're they're giving the impression that I'm there's a difference between whether God like hand wrote the thing or whether He inspired humans to do it. Either way then god's on the hook for its contents which means we believe it's true so I, there's not a distinction in that bucket the the true question is is like as the words come out am i supposed to obey every one of them as if they're a command or are these or are some of these things telling me stories in different literary modes and ways to communicate a true thing of which may or may not require me to obey i think i think he's going to address this word literal so let's okay. let's read on Uh, after the 8% that believe of evangelicals who claim it's a fable, which is uh, weird. Conversely, 6% of adults who either identify with all other religions or claim no religious identity nevertheless say the Bible is the literal word of God, which I don't think they understood the question. Yeah, what kind of maniac goes, I don't believe in this at all, but I think there is a God and I think he wrote it. The omnipotent, all-knowing creator God wrote this thing. I just feel like it's none of my concern. Yeah, I'm not interested. What's Matt Lauer talking about today? That figure falls well short of the 65% in that group who consider it mythology, however, and the overall 29% of U.S. adults who hold that position. Historically, more Americans viewed the Bible as literal instead of as a collection of fables, marking its widest difference of 28%, blah, blah, blah. It widened again in the years following the 9-11 attacks before closing again toward the end of that decade, Uh, like Israel. Here, God shows up. People go, oh, yeah, the Lord. And then obviously once the sting kind of fell away and you got used to a new normal, you're like, eh, we're good. Uh, Here we go. As Hammett stated, a consistent biblical exposure to Scripture bears a tremendous impact on how one views it. It also helps in how one views the truth contained therein. Quotes, those who stumble over the word literal need a more careful understanding of what the word means, said Hammett. Okay. Who also serve seats as the John... Leadley dag chair of systematic theology boy this guy's card is just getting bigger and bigger yeah what's wait what was the what was the guy's name again john what uh hammett no 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 the Leadley dag chair oh john hold on let's find out john yeah john ledley dag with two g's that's he's a jerk you know john ledley dag no but like if you're gonna like you gotta know when your name is not appropriate to, to to be the namesake of something. Who is he? Find out who he is. No, I don't want to. Google him. I don't want to know more about him. Nathaniel. If he just said John, Dag- I will not be ignored. <laughs>
0: Listen, I just want to apologize to the group. What? Truth time. I didn't read this article beforehand. When you just saw up, the. You just saw the headline. <laughs> you thought it would make it look as if you were engaged in the show and fired an article over. <laughs> I said. Oh, I got a, a Baptist friend, and he's always posting uh, articles like this. And so I said, yeah, this one will zing on the show.
1: Okay, <laughs> here he is. John L. Dagg. John Ledley Dagg. Oh, oh, he's oh, he's on the site, ten, 10 Baptists Everybody Should Know. Oh, man. Oh, man. Is hold, he a big deal? Hold on, let me see if I can get a... Let can me see crash if I the can, program, Ben. Don't a, try anything new and fancy. No, I want to see if I can get you a picture of we're, this man. We're running on hamster wheels here. No, no, no. This is going to be fine. You go ahead and... Uh, no, hold on. I'm, I'm just going to do this right now. Display capture. Uh, yeah. No. I don't see him. No. I'm going to read what the man says. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Many think because of the Bible uses language of the sun rising and setting, it must be wrong and science right, and the Bible can't be taken literally. But literal interpretation of figurative language requires understanding what the figures literally mean. <laughs> I feel like you're hard to get along with in regular conversations, friend.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So
1: he's saying the literal interpretation of figurative language. How do you how do you do that? I don't even understand that. Now we're talking about things that I I don't take in well. I don't I don't understand what he means. Oh, hold on, he's going to explain it. Here we go. Literal interpretation does not equal wooden interpretation with no understanding of the literary genres in Scripture. There are parables, poetry, lament, and narratives in Scripture. All communicate literal truth, but in diverse ways. Faithful biblical exposition explains such matters to people and allows them to see the literal truth often couched in figurative language. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm agreeing okay. with that. So, but here's the thing, though. This is This has to do with you getting spun up in your own area of expertise and completely ignoring the way the common person would think about this at all. If you say, is the Bible literal, and blue-collar Mike would go, no. And then you're like, but do you understand the definition of figurative literal interpretation? No. Well, let me explain it to you. I don't care. You asked me a simple question, I answered it. That's it, we're done. And then you go, but I, it's going to contribute to the survey and make it look like everybody believes that they're bailing on the Bible. And and you completely missed that, just so you could go through your, your dagley chair explanation of what... Literal interpretation of figurative language is. I guess what I'm saying is is if you want if you want lowbrow people to answer your highbrow questions, you're going to get a bunch of wrong answers. Yes, yes, that's true. Have you produced this picture of Dagley? Yeah, yeah, okay, I got him. Hold dag. on, oh, ready? <laughs> okay, there he is. there he is. <laughs> He looks like someone stole Martin Van Buren's hair, and he's not happy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this might—he might be a wonderful Jesus man. Uh, but okay, it says uh, Dag had a limited education, so he lived from 1794 to 1884 in Loudoun County, Virginia. Was an American Baptist theologian. Uh, Dag had a limited education, was near blind, and physically disabled. Boy, do you—you you look like a real weasel, Mike. Crap. Did he? Did he obey the, the literal interpretations of Matthew? He became a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I made it facetious, but I feel like Dag would. he did it. Um, he became a pastor in Philadelphia and elsewhere, and then an educator both in Alabama as president of Mercer University in Georgia. His Manual of Theology, 1857, was the first comprehensive systematic theology written by a Baptist in America. Interesting. Hmm. I wonder why he's of the top ten. Now, now producing something no one has asked for. <laughs> Systematic theology by the only Baptist in America. Boy, he's kind of weirding me out. Uh, he doesn't look very happy. I feel like the Holy Spirit is hes not jumping out of him. We'll maybe say he's, that.
0: He's, uh, maybe they're depicting the blindness.
1: With his eyes open?
0: Staring angrily at the, at the portrait? Yeah. Like he's not at it. I feel like it's up. I don't uh, know.
1: I'm interested in this 10 Baptists. Everybody Should Know article. You should hold on to that for later. Yeah, credo bag. Anyway, And actually, the, the, mine was real shallow, but like, I feel like they shouldn't name things after people where the, where their names are difficult. Like, you can have a John Thomas school of thought, but not like a Ebenezer B. Schmittenhammer school of <laughs> thought. And John Ledley Dagg, if they would have just called it the John Dagg chair, that's fine. But the John Ledley Dag chair of something or other, I, that's wrong to me. I, I, I th- once again, I, I think at the end of the day, the problem with, with surveys like this is like you literally, they did a Gallup poll. They asked a question that people don't understand. And then, and then tried to pull out results that don't reflect the way that most people think merely by asking. I'm sure that's a, that's, a, there has to be some college of research that if you're going to do research studies, that they say, make sure that you ask clarifying questions so people understand what you're asking them before you try to get real-time data out of it. Yeah. This data does not coalesce with the thing that they're saying. Yeah, they should just use, like, uh, they should do real basic questions and then build a profile from there. Like, hey, man, do you think God literally's arm came down from the heavens and he pinned Obadiah? Or do you think he used humans to write it down? Yes. That would be enough. Number two. Okay, great. Now I have a thought. Now, do you believe humans... Uh, have subsequently, under God's inspiration, written something that God did not ask, and that made its way into the Scriptures? Are they fallible in that way? Kind of yes or no? Yeah. Okay, great. Now now we can put some pictures but together here's the these thing: people. is like, I mean, do you think most, even most Christians would, I mean, if someone asked you, is it possible that someone could have floated some wrong idea into Scripture? Like, only my faith in God says no. Oh, right? well, sure. Literally, do I think a guy could have added something in there i mean of course it could oh they totally in fact we've got examples of this totally there's there's this is part of the reason that you have some differences in some of the bible translations is because like they're they're deciding how much weight to put towards like different versions of god's word that have been passed down and almost always they'll choose the one that is the um um, they will. I was thinking about this yesterday. Like there was an example of something that came down, where like um, sometimes they'll choose the one that shows up the most often, like the most common, um, or they'll choose the one that like is harshest, because they presume that like no one would, would or like for the New Testament manuscripts, um, they would often cho- like with choose as a translation the one that is most embarrassing to the church. Because they believe that the motivation of the of the editor um, of a subsequent passing down of the manuscript would be to make this seem less bad, and so they're like, "Well, the most likely option is the one that makes the church look the worst," and mm-hmm. so used, and that so they'll they'll use that as the interpretation, mm-hmm. and so like, um, yeah, this is this is totally happens, but like God is God is uh, has given totally given us the means to be able to know that. The presence of a lot of different uh, manuscripts and a lot of different Bible translations doesn't tell me that we have a corruption problem. Uh, It tells me that humans are actively trying um, to work in faithfulness to make sure we don't have a corruption problem. Yeah, but the same thing could be said as like people are are out there preaching the prosperity gospel, pulling it out of the same Bible that we are, right? And so then you would go, well, it doesn't really matter whether they got a manuscript problem or not. People are still pulling out whatever they want. Yeah, I mean it's true. If you can't if people are gonna pull out what they want to pull out, there's no It doesn't matter who wrote it, it or it why. doesn't matter what you have in there. You're just well treated as a fable when you're like, here's the gist of this. You're gonna get a car. Mm. Oh. Whiz bang. <laughs> yeah, that seemed great. Good. I gotta keep both my hands? Absolutely you do. Okay. Yeah. Well works <laughs> out. Okay. Yeah, that's the end of that article. Uh I, I find it was a uh a horrible exposition on asking people questions and coming out with true answers. if to know, like, um, I think it's designed to scare a Baptist. Like, hey, see, like, or to justify one who goes, yeah, we're the we're the remnant, we're the ones who continue to maintain that uh, this wasn't that garbage inspired by the Lord. This was the Lord Himself wrote this thing, and every word is literally true, in spite of what the inspired Word of the Lord itself says. Do you you feel like it is an overstretch to say that, like, as a pastor, like, let's say you do expository preaching. You just roll book by book by book, whatever. Yep. And then, like, do you think it is out of bounds to say that at some point in your teaching, preaching career, like, it would make sense that the Holy Spirit would show up and derail something some Sunday? Like, you were going to do this. It was next in line, and you had it all planned out. And like at some point, if you are honestly seeking God's interference or, or or wisdom, there has to be some point where you'd say God shows up and goes, yeah, I need you to shelve that. Here's what we're going to talk about. I would presume, yes. Okay. Yeah, I would presume. Okay. Uh, that's just a thought uh, on my end. It's uh, not either way. All right, you ready for some advice? Yeah, let's do it. Here we go. we got a couple. Dear life from the path, my wife has been working as a teacher's assistant for nearly 10 years. Several years ago, she became an assistant in a new school and has been in this particular classroom since it opened. She was assigned to a teacher, Mrs. Smith, Mm -hmm. quotes, a couple years in and has been with her ever since. My wife has had some critical things to say a couple times about other teachers and things she and I felt were wrong. But the superintendent of our county always rules for the teachers because they went to college. Mrs. Smith knows this and berates my wife constantly. My wife won't go to the principal because she always sides with the teachers. I'm at my wit's end. I just told her I was writing you, and here's why. I so want to say something to this teacher, but I won't, all caps, because it's my wife's job. I just need to help her without causing trouble in the heat of the moment. Supportive husband. I'll take I said a lot without saying anything for 500, Alex. Mm. What the heck was the problem? Uh, what? I don't understand. Maybe I missed it. What was the argument even about? It seems that... It seems that the wife, who's the teacher's assistant, yeah. has had some critical things to say a couple times about both Mrs. Smith and the other teachers. Yes. When she brings... Like the what? Pro- I don't know what say. Okay, that's not helpful. Hmm. Maybe maybe the wife's a jerk. Hi, I think Mrs. Smith should should uh, go back to wearing nylons. Hmm. Or I hate her nylons. <laughs> like, I don't know. Wanna... Yeah. The modern woman shouldn't wear nylon. Like, I, I don't know... All this, basically, what it sounded to me like the premise was, was to say, My wife thinks there's a problem. Uh, When the problems have been communicated, the teacher has, or the principal has sided with the teacher. The teacher basically knows that the wife said something and so has given her guff about it. Mm -hmm. And now the husband Mm -hmm. wants to go rolling in there and high training and and showing showing who's boss because his wife is ultimately right. Uh, But he's not going to because he doesn't want to cause trouble. You know, over my, over my years of working, I have never met a spouse yet who doesn't believe that the stories that their husband and or wife tells when they come home from work, and if I was to go to ask them later and say, what's, what's going on with your husband slash wife's work? Well, they're underappreciated, I'll tell you that. Right, right. <laughs> He's the only guy slash woman that knows anything Yeah, at that particular organization. right? It's the same story in every house. Right, oh, yeah. the the person will come home from work, tell a story, and you're like, my spouse is the only one that gets it. <laughs> Obviously, everyone else is there is an idiot, <laughs> and I don't know why he's not running the place and making ten thousand dollars more a year. Right, right. So, <laughs> like, like is anybody going home and doing that? Doing, saying the right thing. Like, does Mrs. Smith go home to Mr. Smith and says, "Hey, man, that one teacher's assistant or whatever ratted me out, and she was totally right. I've been gaming the system. Me That's and right. Greta." Uh, luckily the t- teacher is in our pocket or the principal's in the pocket and so we got away with it and I really gave that teacher's aid of what's for but like we are totally still still coasting
0: Yeah, I don't know I feel like I come home all the time and be like hey guess what I screwed up today yeah. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you re- I'm the
1: dumbest man there
0: <laughs> I really ruined it <laughs> if,
1: if that check clears I'll be totally surprised <laughs> I guess I, I've said that like I don't know what they're paying me for I think they're overpaying me and uh, I don't know why they continue to let me work there yeah I just, once again, I I think you have to take some things in order, especially as a husband. This is classic husband behavior, right? Your wife just wants to say a thing or two and vent out and and let loose her thoughts and feelings. And you are automatically thinking like you're going to roll up your camel T-shirts and start heading in there and and showing (laughs) whoever who's boss with, I don't know what type of imitation I mean, you don't have a college education either. And this is what they've deduced, Right. This this is a this is a, a class system problem where they're like no one's listening to me because I don't have a college education, uh, I don't think that's probably actually no. the truth. No, none of this sounds like it's. I'm I'm not to say that you weren't right or that your wife wasn't right or and the teachers are rallying against you, but like this is a at will employment. If you want to continue to be there, you should continue to be there in the job role that they've designed you to be in. If you do not want to be there in that job role, you should probably quit and do something else. Right. I mean, is it is it all possible? that Occam's Razor applies here, that, like, you made some sort of suggestion as the non-educated, like, full-education teacher's assistant or whatever, and, like, it actually wasn't a great suggestion. Mm. And it reflects the fact that you did not go through it, you don't have experience, nor any education uh, to this area. And so that's why they rejected it. And that's why the principal agreed. Like, that actually is the the thing that makes the most sense. Agreed. You see this happen with uh, people's approach to homelessness all the time. They're like, why don't we just give them all... You know, 200 bucks a month. That'll help straighten them out. You, sir, have zero experience with homeless people. Uh, that is not a good solution right. at all. Right, It's a ruination of at least three quarters of them. It's yeah. a horrible idea. Right? But, like, it's sort of like all I was doing trying to help, and I obviously love these people more than the people who run in the homeless shelter. Uh, and so, like my ideas should have sailed right through. This budget can totally support giving two hundred bucks to every homeless person out there. Yeah, yeah. Except they, once again, it's not, it's not the best solution. Yeah, if you don't know what you are talking about. You can hold off on your liquor store stimulus. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I I think uh, it's going to sound crass, but we're just going to we're going to bow to Ox, Occam's razor hair and go. I think you spoke above your pay grade, and then tried to start a rustle. and then when no one agreed with you. Uh, the people are like, "Hey, man, you tried to start a Russell, and then that's it." And they're even, mad at you, and I think if, that's fair.
0: Even if they didn't, like, even if she is in the right, and that everybody's just mean to her, like, you don't have any right to bust up in somebody else's job, yeah, and be like, you know, you should really listen to my wife, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: If we're boiling it down to the dude's perspective, you got zero stake in this, friend. There's like an A, B, and a C in this program, and you're like you're like a J, right? Yeah, you just you're zero part of this. You're gonna get punched in the bar by Mister Welch. That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if, yeah, your w- right. if
0: your wife is in the right, just you know, when she comes home, just let her vent. Just yeah, baby, you're the best ever. You know, whatever.
1: Yeah, do yeah. what you
0: gotta do at home. You don't need to bust bust up the 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 workplace.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, totally. You just stay out of this, dude. In fact, I, as a matter of fact, I would. So my advice to you is, is um is try to encourage your wife uh, to, to make amends here this is is this not gonna do anything either she needs to find a different place to work because these people are awful, awful people or she probably needs to own some portion of her reaction uh, and uh, it can be a learning experience and then she needs to try to rebuild and make some friends. I, here's the thing. the only thing that's curbing me in one direction here is like if you're married to this woman, you have to know if she does this. Yes, that's true. Right? Does does she look at, like, every turn you make and go, I had a turn right there, not left? It's a big mistake you made. Or what do you mean you picked up those kind of beans? Those are the wrong beans. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like, does she fly in every decision you make and have something to say, like, well, I'm obviously the only one that knows anything about shopping, driving, doing laundry, any type of whatevers, right? Yeah. So, like... Yeah, like if she's she's of the persuasion that like, this isn't my area of expertise, but I do feel like I should speak on it. <laughs> That's correct. So the <laughs> fact that he's defending his wife against these accusations either means that, like he says he's at his wits end, either he's low on wits, and <laughs> it just didn't take very long to get to the end, or she doesn't actually behave this way. And so now it sounds out of character, and it might just not be a very good workplace. And so maybe it's time for her to bail. But yeah, the, but the question is, because we're, we're only addressing the man's question, which is... Should you roll up in there, beefcake style, and start laying the law down? No, sir. No. No, No, you're out. You keep your gorilla behind in your enclosure. Okay. So, uh, secular, (laughs) secular retorts. You absolutely should not involve yourself in your wife's difficulties with this teacher. If she's being, quotes, berated constantly, the teacher to whom she is assigned has been creating a stressful and hostile work environment. It's time for her to have a frank conversation with that teacher and tell her she is not happy with the way she's being treated. Perhaps she could ask to be assigned to another classroom. However, if that isn't feasible because your wife is unhappy in that school district, she should look elsewhere for employment. Listen, I'm going to tell you this: if you, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but like I, I would have to eliminate all kinds of things before I would say the culture in the school district as a whole is off. Mm-hmm. Like you are the common denominator. Just, I mean, it can be the system and bless. Bless you if you're a person fighting a corrupt system where, like, you're the only level head in the crowd. I know what happens. But, like, I mean, you got to figure out a way to double check that, triple check it, just to make sure that you are not the, the, you're not the, the fire roaming around the halls. Yeah, yeah. It's a question of humility, and it actually doesn't exist much in the workplace, right? But, like, if you can find any type, like, when you take a thing in and go, no, 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 this is all wrong. It's your job to suss out whether your suspicions are right or not. Yeah. Right? And to go, hey, man, am I taking in this wrong? Like, uh, you should be bouncing this off your husband. And your husband, instead of galleying up to your defense, should go, eh. Right? Like a good yeah. husband or a good wife looks at their their significant other and goes, uh, I'm sorry you had a rough day. You might have reacted just a little bit on the out-of-bounds side. Yeah. You know, and they're going to take that harshly. But but you love them enough not to leave them flailing around in their own stink. Like, you got to help her out of this thing if she's wrong. And if she's not, it's probably time to get another job. Because, like, you can't convince unreasonable to all of a sudden be reasonable. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Agreed. Okay. Uh, Question number two. Dos Rios. What's Rio mean? Anybody know? River? Yeah. Two River. Here we go. (laughs) Uh, Dear. (laughs) I can't leave me alone for a minute i would just do clarity are we laughing at that misplaced dos reals comment or about what, whatever this advice request is oh it's the dos reals i don't know why i don't know why i bombed that out there it don't make no sense people people are creating a hostile work environment uh they're live they're from the path my recently married daughter and my husband oh Oh, yeah, my recently married daughter and my husband had a stupid argument before Sunday dinner six weeks ago Mm -hmm. and haven't spoken since. Yeah. I love my daughter very much and want to see her, but she refuses to come here as she feels her dad owes her an apology. Yeah. Here's the story. She and her husband were late, as usual, for dinner, and my husband, who is ill and not sleeping well, just lost it, and she burst into tears. I felt for both of them. Neither of them ate dinner, and neither one spoke. They have texted each other but haven't seen each other. It's stressing me out big time. Sunday dinners have been put on hold, and my patience is wearing thin. I think they're both in the wrong and need to talk, but neither will make the first move. Any ideas? Yeah, i I'd go slap your husband in the face. Yeah. Yep. I wonder how late we're talking. Like 20 minutes? Hour and a half? Here's the thing. I, it, it matters. matters. I, I, have, I have some experience with late people. <laughs> <laughs> Nathaniel, <laughs> sorry, Get it, reel it in, Dos Rios. Um, yes. What does that mean, Dos Rios? Dos Rios.
0: I don't understand. I, I spoke.
1: To... I spoke two rivers over you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: so I'll tell you this: I have an experience. I have experience with late people, and I'll, I'll say this thing: at some point, at some point, you become the problem. I, th- I think they should change, but. Your expectations acting like they don't behave this way is stupid. And so are you telling me that dad has no idea that his daughter or this this group of married people aren't late all the time? Because here's the deal. If they're not late all the time and this like, – because wasn't that what the, the the mom said? They're late all the time? Yeah, as usual. Okay. Well, then if it's usual, then what's with the blow up? Yeah. Like, you obviously overreacted. What? Now, hold on. Make it fun. We've been working on this premise for years, but, like, just because it's not a surprise to you doesn't mean it doesn't deserve righteous anger. Yeah, yeah, speak it. But, but, but like, <laughs> uh, the, he, here's the question. Here's the question. If someone, like, laid it on the table and said, look, either you're, um, uh, yeah, here, would you be willing to trade, basically, a close relationship or any relationship with your daughter um for like is is it a right consequence to say if if your daughter doesn't show up on time Then you will sever ties does that seem does that seem of the right level of reaction because that's effectively what's happening you're basically threatening to say look you show up on time or i'm willing to sever ties with you as a dad yeah i frankly i i put this whole thing on the dad especially cuz the wife goes uh the the husband and the wife were late whatever uh, and my husband, who is ill and not sleeping well, just lost it, and she burst into tears. Um, the the ill and not sleeping well explains your behavior, but doesn't excuse it. It does not justify it. Agreed. Right. So so like, yeah, I, I'm not so sure that like, I mean, he owes your daughter an apology. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. I don't know if she can live her entire life on the premise that he didn't deliver it, and so you're not coming over Sunday night dinner, but. Um, do I want to really spend my free time with someone who decides to take out a big yelling on me? And like, I, I wouldn't want to go over there either. I totally get it. I don't know if that I would say apologize to me. Otherwise we're not going to have this straighten out. But like, if, if behaviors continue, like how they're going, like, are you really asking me to spend my free time getting balled out by my old man who just wants to be <laughs> be spiced about the fact that I showed up half hour late? I don't want to come over here for that. I can eat at home. Yeah. That doesn't sound like a good time at all. Yeah, I, I just, I yes, this is. Uh, here's your, you're still the parent. You're still the an adult. Make the adult decision. Say, look, I'm sorry, I blew up. You know, and I don't. It facilitates an okay conversation. I say I was, I was talking to someone, and I said, uh, uh, okay, well, this I'm gonna have to tell you who it was because otherwise it's not gonna make sense. Because <laughs> um, it would be odd for me to say there's nothing I find more attractive than apologies,
0: <laughs>
1: Nathaniel. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but I was talking to my wife about. um um like about the uh, to apologize to someone implies that you've seen something from their perspective it's it's a demonstration of humility and so i think it's perfectly okay to hold your ground where your kids are being offensive and so it's okay to tell your daughter look i'm i should not have blown up like that i'm real sorry i've not been feeling great and uh, it just – it added to, to, to it and, like, I just – I did not control myself. I shouldn't have gotten angry. I should have texted you. Or I should have called. I would love to see you and your husband. I said, like, it, it does exacerbate a problem. You know it's frustrating when you – when you, like, it feels like you guys just can't ever make it, and it feels like you're not trying. Uh, I'm on the other end of that, and it just – if it's something that I care about and you are acting like you don't care about it, like, I hope you can understand that. It just feels hurtful, and that's kind of where it's coming from, but I, I overreacted. Like even the you don't even have to agree with the whole situation and write it off and act like things were fine when they weren't fine. That's not what we're asking at all. But like own your part. Your part was you overreacted where you shouldn't have. You were disproportionate. And like like you wouldn't of all the things that you're willing to sever ties with your daughter about, is this the one? If it's not the one, then don't then don't land on it. Have like that's a humility problem. And then maybe it paves the way. To have a good conversation, or maybe a more impactful one about the fact that like hey man it just it's it's I, I get that it's just a clock, and the potatoes are a little bit cold twenty minutes later, and it doesn't seem like the end of the world, but like when i've when I've told you it's important to me and you continue to not show up on time, it just feels like you heard me say something was important, and you don't care, and that hurts, and like that and that that's how i'm that's how I'm taking it in like that seems that could be a fruitful conversation, and so um yeah, I, I agree. This is on the this is on the dad. I agree. Uh secular retorts. May I be frank? Yes. yes. Your husband was not feeling well and, in addition, was sleep deprived. That he may have been more sensitive than usual is understandable. He was certainly within his rights to point out to your daughter and her husband that their habitual tardiness is rude and inconsiderate. They were long overdue in hearing it. I gotta be honest. If I was put in this exact same situation as the dad, I'd pull the dude aside. Say look, man. Because what it boils down to is my wife's feelings are hurt. She made dinner, and you weren't here on time. And and we're going to have to talk about this. Yeah. And, and like, uh, again, on this lateness thing, like, there's an arrogance to it. There's an arrogance that says, like, oh, they'll wait for me. Oh, I know that's when I said I would be there. I don't care if they're put out. They can just sit there and wait then. Like, I know that people don't think that way. And, like, there's always a justification for it. But, like, I just, there is an arrogance to it that goes, well, I'm okay if they're put out. Yes. Yeah, Correct. Uh, and like I mean, even though even if it was my daughter, uh, I still feel like I'd have the conversation with the dude. I'm like, look, man, we're both married men. You're putting me in a spot, and you're and 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 you know that. Yeah, from dude to dude, come on,
0: come yeah, on. now <laughs> actually,
1: you've got a better shot because he's still he's still vying for your favor. Your daughter's probably been like, look, this guy's attached to me for good, and so I don't ha- I I ain't going to do no uh, no glad handing. Yeah, but you might have a, you might have a shot at the husband. Uh, continues. Your daughter and son in law owe him. And you, an apology. Support your husband, and hope your self-centered daughter matures enough to admit that they were wrong and apologize. In the meantime, please make plans with other folks for Sunday dinners, which will give you less time to brood. Okay, I, I don't, I don't care for that last bit of advice. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And maybe this changes as I get older. I don't know. I, I'm not. know i am not i the oldest kid I got is is not yet 16. But like. This presumes that there's a point at which you abdicate being a parent. Because it says, at some point, as opposed to being the example to your kid and showing it what it looks like to handle a situation well, that you're going to cross your arms, stamp your foot, and demand that they do it. And like, I feel like if there's ever, like, as long as there are chances to pour in, like, here's the thing, you're beating, you're you're always going to be ahead of your kids, you're going to know what it's looked like to be 50 before they're going to know. You're never going to run out of opportunity to say, as I hit this milestone, here's the things I learned, and if I can pass it on to you, I will, so that your your age 50 is better than mine. And so, like, I I don't know why you would you would toss this one out and go, look, what does it look like to be a good example? Let me show let me show my kid that even in this stage of life. It's good to be humble, to apologize where it's necessary, and lead to good conversation. Like, I just don't understand that. You're a parent for life, man. You don't just throw it out and go, well, now they owe, they owe and serve me. I think those relationships change, but, like, hot dang, just be a good example here. I, I, I don't, I'm i not with that. I'm not with this at all. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't like it. What do you think, butthead? That's you, Nathaniel. <laughs> butthead? I was going to see who responded. Just you ousted I know yourself. you're not talking to me, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I don't really think that you're a butthead, Nathaniel. I just was interested if you were like, well, here's what I think. <laughs> if you self-identified as a
0: butthead. <laughs> I do, kind of.
1: <laughs> just call me Dos Rios.
0: Yeah, blowing up on someone, that's not cool. Especially your own daughter. I mean, come on.
1: I mean, she seems terrible, Nathaniel. Sure, She's but like, yeah, you
0: could say something and not yell.
1: Yeah, but what if, what if she, she feels like she's not listening? Don't you think a little anger, a little little thermo, thermo heat on the old uh, accusation gets the point across? I, I
0: don't know. Maybe. Maybe it does. <laughs>
1: maybe I'm for it. Maybe you kick her in the shin.
0: <laughs> or you just change up your style. You know, you're making the roast uh, a little early. It gets cold. You're having to reheat mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes suck reheated. Yeah. It's like, you know, just start cooking when they get there. And when they say, hey, why isn't dinner done? You say, because you're always late. Yeah. And then put the heat on them then.
1: That's my-in-law's always did that. They, I mean, they had a plan for it, and they were kind of half engaged. But, like, they didn't start full-throttling until people started showing up. Ain't no use to being roasted to people. So yeah. The thing is, is like, uh, I, and maybe this is just the, the, the Jesus-centered folks' way of looking at life. But, like, if you can anticipate where a problem is going to show up, like, either you can wait till it shows up just so you can be mad about it, or since you knew it was coming, you can uh, take a couple steps and try to avoid it and just say, eh. It's like the, it's like the adage where we say, look, you can't steal something that uh, you gave to somebody. So, like, if you know they're going to show up an hour late, I don't fire up dinner until they get here and say, hey, we just wanted to make sure it was warm when you got here. Then they're like, well, we can't keep coming over here. If dinner's not going to be ready as soon as we stroll in the door, well, I'm sorry. This is the way this is going to work. you got to understand this from our position, blah, blah, blah. Have a conversation about it. Yeah. I think people are, re- are relying on a couple social mores without actually coming out and saying the thing. And I think if you just said the thing, I think it would straighten stuff up.
0: We're making fun. Like the other day, uh, Ben is traditionally late to things. And my dad and I were taking the over under on how late Ben was going to be. Yeah. Huh. And both of us were wrong because he was on time. Dang it.
1: Prime on time. Whoa. You want to do one more? Yeah, let's do one Okay, more. last one. Dear life from the path. I recently posted on the FB about how I never get any recognition from my only son on my birthday, Mother's Day, or any holiday. My daughter-in-law then responded that I care more about my dogs than my grandchildren. I live in Florida. They live in Kansas. Last year, I offered to fly the girls to Florida for a visit, but was told no. I have asked that they come for a visit, but no visits have happened. I live alone and have five rescue dogs, three rescue cats, and foster abandoned kittens. Mm -hmm. In order for me to visit them, I would have to pay for airfare, parking, and a pet sitter, and would need a family member to pick me up and usher me around. I responded that if they wanted to pick up the tab, I would be happy to visit. They claim I do, quotes nothing to be a grandmother to their girls. Life from the path, I started a 529 college fund for them years ago. When I asked what they want me to do, I received no response. At this point, I'm considering changing my will and the beneficiary of my life insurance. Yeah. When I asked again about what they wanted, she said she needed time. It's been weeks. What now? Yeah, well, I just want to run into this first line again. I recently posted on Facebook about how I never get any recognition from my only son on my birthday. Okay. You, listen, you got to stop doing it. <laughs> I don't I think if if especially if your comments are that pointed, you should probably just talk to them directly. I don't know what type of bully campaign you wanted to run on the internet where they all called your son and said, "Here, you need to start living different." uh i've had a couple people do that to me and it is horrible <laughs> it is absolutely horrible Yep, yeah uh so uh uh what's our thoughts on this fellas woman lives out of state yep she's adopted apparently nine or ten animals yeah and then can't make it out to see the grandkid ever uh because of the cost that it would take for someone to watch said animals uh while she gets on a plane and rolls out to kansas i mean did she is she calling the grandkids no mention of that. Yeah. I mean, this is your only solution. Either you pay for me to come out uh, and or I take you out of the will. Oh, by the way, like I started at 529. Like, or do you call your – why don't you just start there? Call the kids. Hmm. Just dial the phone and go, hello, is grandkid number one there? This is grandma. I just want to talk to them for five minutes. Like, why don't we start there? Right like let's avoid the checklist of what a relationship looks like on paper and actually be involved in one yeah. and like what I think it's I think it's one of those cases where it's it's actions over words here like you're saying a lot of things but your your actions don't actually point that you're trying to have uh, a relationship yeah, with the grandchild. Hey, yeah, I love these. I love these kids. Have you ever? Do you send them a birthday card? You send them a Christmas card? You write them a letter? You give them a phone call? Or like, did you decide that like the only way that you're willing to evaluate the veracity, like, to show whether you have a good relationship or not, is if they're willing to pay for you to fly out there, or they're willing to pay to fly to see you? Yeah. Now, granted, now you're listen. I, I this, this part kind of stinks because I get it. Like, it's one of those realizations that maybe as you get older and like you have to you have to settle in, like. um as, as you're t I, I just assume as like my wife and I retire, I'm going to be we're going to be the ones expected to travel because I know what it was like to be 30 to 40 years old raising kids and like they're out yeah, playing yeah, baseball, yeah, yeah. and going to church and whatever, and you're like, well, I mean, we, I mean, I ain't doing nothing during the day. Maybe I'll pop over and see if mom and dad want to take a break and me and the kids go off ice cream or something. You know, I don't know. We got time, <laughs> and so. Um, when, when the the lady's upset because they won't pay for her to fly out there and they won't come and visit but when they come and visit they're paying for three plane tickets not just the one right and so and so like there's some cost um especially at you know early 30s you know like i just taking a three-person flight to, to florida is probably pretty expensive yeah and so i guess what i'm saying is like you just you take this in with a little bit of rationality and so like if you call and say well you never come visit me and you're like look man you're a you're two thousand dollars worth of plane tickets away, uh, and then you're making me feel real crappy about it. And I'm like, I don't got no two thousand dollars. Can we Facetime? <laughs> you know, can, we, can yeah. we come up with something? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's the big thing. Is I'd like to see there are plenty of other options besides taking you in in person. Although, I mean, maybe that feels ideal. It probably is, but like I, before we we start talking about changing wills, and acting like they're completely cutting off relationship. My question to you would be, like, are you putting any other effort into it besides this? Are they are they chucking the the letters that you're sending? Are you are you trying to call them? Um, that kind of thing. I, I just, I, it doesn't, I didn't get the sense that that's what's happening. It's like you've decided that so they can express love one way. And if they don't do that, then you're taking your, you know, gift money and going home. And, like, do you want a relationship or do you want to posture like you're a decent grandmother? Right. Like, pick one. Right. Uh, Nathaniel, any cuts? No. No cuts. Here we go. Secular says. I prefer butthead. <laughs> Not knowing your son and daughter-in-law's financial situation, I can only suspect that the reason they haven't taken you up on your invitation to visit is that they can't afford airfare for four and think you can better afford to do the traveling. It is a shame you had to publicize on Facebook the fact that you have such a distant relationship with them rather than pick up a phone and discuss it privately. Yep. Correct. I'm not sure what you expect your daughter in law to do at this point. Offer to pay for some or all of your expenses? Your money is, of course, yours to do with as you wish after your death, but wouldn't it be better spent cementing a relationship with your family while you're alive than using it to punish them after you're gone? They are alternative ways to quotes visit virtually to stay in touch and show an interest in your grandkids. More and more people do it these days, and it is not difficult. Yeah. Yeah, man, Lee, like, and he, here's the thing, this seems like a bit of a tussle between you and your son and uh, the daughter-in-law, but, like, is it, or do you, what do you care about here more? Do you want a relationship with your grandkids, or do you want to win some sort of, you know, beef struggle with this daughter-in-law? Yeah. Focus on the grandkids, right? I mean, what do you think, they're they're really going to chuck your mail? Just write them a letter a week, establish a relationship, like, and, and maybe you wait, maybe they suck, maybe they're the worst parent slash parent-in-law, step-step whoever, okay? Mm-hmm. And so give it time, create good relationships, and then uh, maybe the grandkids themselves will come. And they'll be much better than these crappy kids you have. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, let your actions uh, match your heart output, right? Like, if you want to give them the money, uh, you're not buying their affection. You're being generous to them because you want to be generous to them. And if you don't want to do that anymore, then I guess you change your will. But, like, they're actions towards you don't get to change your actions towards them if you don't want them to. Like these are all, it's all within your choices. These are all choosable things. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. All right. You've been listening to Live from the Path. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. We really do appreciate it. If you have feedback for us on the show, give us a call on the Live from the Path. Bob Eisenhower complaint line, 515-517-0085. That's 515-517-0085. Call or text we would love to hear from you, and I think you want to share us uh, any nicknames, and whether you dig on them or not, and uh, maybe have feedback on that uh, broad uh, church thing we were talking about, and uh, what maybe, camp you fall in on the biblical literacy. Maybe you know a megachurch pastor that would be willing to come in and talk yeah, to us. Yeah, I think you you, you stooley village people uh, don't even know what you're talking about. You know, in fact, ask your pastor in general if he would like to come in and talk to us. We'd just love to know more Jesus people. Yeah, sure. So sure, sure, like, sure, sure. Uh, if, if you feel like your pastor would be a good fit and isn't offended by random things that I might say, uh, ask him to come in, and we'd love to. Oh, yeah, well, it's just approved. It's approved. Send yeah. him in. Yeah, let's do it. All right. And I think we'll be around next week. So oh, be pay, uh, praying for Dan. Dan's in Zimbabwe having a heck of a time, man. I saw some videos. Some